0: This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Let's pray real quick before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for orchestrating things in a way that we couldn't have even planned beyond our wildest dreams, beyond all we can ask or imagine. So we come to you this morning just uh, thankful and praying for forgiveness, Lord. We, uh, we are a sinful people. We confess our sin. We, we empty ourselves of everything that is ourself. And we open our minds, Lord, to hear what you have for us. Uh, you picked a perfect song this morning through our brothers here, Lord. And uh, we are yours. You do miracles. Do what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So along those lines, uh, I really couldn't have planned this any better. I mean, we have scripture on Jesus' baptism followed by baptisms, right? You might think we planned that, but we didn't. God did. This week, uh, the third group graduated from the Bible Boot Camp in Rensselaer County Jail. Sam pointed out to the men... That watching them over a mere twelve weeks was like watching a time lapse photography of a flower coming out of the ground and blooming. Another way we can see the Lord's working is through timing, right? Orchestrating movement in the stars. Something as simple as letting us bump into an old friend. In ways in a way the passing weeks feel like this, right? I mean We've heard from Ken, who detailed Jacob's wrestlings with God. we heard from Simon, who pointed out brilliantly and strongly that we must meditate and memorize Scripture. Precious Word of God. Hide it in our hearts to, hide, to guard us from error. We heard from Chad, who gave us a background in the mark, and, uh, and really focusing on the prophecies about John the Baptizer, who had the assignment to prepare the way of the Lord. This means that I get the fantastic privilege of continuing the message of the gospel. Well, you already, you already heard the reading. If you're not there, open up to Mark 1. Because we're going to go through it in detail right here. John appeared baptizing. That's what it says, verse 4. We've already seen that John, as well as Jesus, was foretold in the scriptures. Very clearly in in Malachi and Isaiah, the Jews understood this and were eagerly awaiting the coming of Messiah, and that he would be preceded by Elijah. They believed he was coming to redeem the Jews, return to their homeland, restore the kingdom and the house of David, be recognized by the world, and even resurrect the dead. Mark jumps out in the first line of the chapter that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. So, in order to... For, G- for the world to be prepared for Jesus, John had to do something. He had to bring baptism. What is baptism? What does it have to do with preparation? The word baptism is actually a Greek word. Baptizo, transliterated directly into English. It just means immerse or submerge. You're surrounded. So it turns out, this idea of baptism is distinctly Jewish, and was not unique to John at the time of Jesus. Archaeologists have discovered that during the first century before Christ, it was common for some communities to baptize in a baptism which they called a mikveh on a regular basis, as much as every day. More commonly, ritual cleansing was one that was not clean. When you weren't clean, you'd be cleansed. That's that's what it right. That's what it represents. Right? You're cleaning. That's what it is. Many Jews still do this and consider it extremely important. I remember as a, as a uh, teenager meeting a Jew that explained to me what they do on Yom Kippur. And this is, uh, if you've got a moment, just turn over to Leviticus 16. The Day of Atonement, we call it, they call it Yom Kippur, Verse 4, it says, He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist. Wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. So the Jews knew that this was necessary. Why did they do it? They did it when they confessed their sins. That's what they do on Yom Kippur. It's what they do on a Day of Atonement. They They realize that even without the temple... They need cleansing from their sin. Yet they had one more reason for baptizing. And it was for when a Gentile converted to Judaism. Well, what a humbling thing to do for a Jew to admit that he still had a need to be baptized. Maybe this is one of the reasons why Matthew records John calling the pharisees a brood of vipers when they came to observe the baptism thinking that they didn't need it. Our forefathers, the Anabaptists, suffered a similar fate when they taught that infant baptism was not enough. But that we all need baptism as believers. Many of them were drowned by the religious people, mainly due to their lack of humility to admit that they also needed repentance and the work of baptism. I'll try to pick up some speed here. In the wilderness, right? Why is this? He appeared baptizing in the wilderness. We've already seen it. It was part of Isaiah's prophecy, right? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. But I I think it's interesting that while Jesus does this part that we can't do, right? He cleanses us from sin he leaves something for us to do, right? We need to come out into the wilderness to meet him. And that's what people are doing. In the same way, we need to step toward Christ, leaving the place we are in order to prove our belief. That's what James says, right? Faith without works is dead. So when they're out there, What is John doing? He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As I said earlier, the Jews understood this and they still understand this. Why shouldn't they? This is common throughout the scriptures. As Sam just recited from memory in the prayer group this morning, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is super clear. My people who are called by my name humble themselves, Pray seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance, right? Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It's the nature of God. Prayer is necessary for confession. Confession is necessary for repentance, and if we're repentant, God promises to forgive us. What a gracious God we serve. Now, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. People weren't just hearing about the work God was doing. They were going out to see it. The Blackabees say, in experiencing God, we should watch to see where God is working and join him. This is why the Jews were so nervous about stopping John, right? Right? The whole countryside was going out. So who was John? He didn't go to first century seminary. John the Apostle tells us he was told to go baptize. Told by whom? Right? Jesus says right here, I send my messenger before your face. God sent him. We learn in John that when God sent him, he told them that the one who he sees the Holy Spirit descend on is his son, right? Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. It's possible that the camel's hair... And the leather belt were referenced to Second Corinthians one eight, likening John to the appearance of Elijah, because Elijah did this look the same way. The locust and wild honey are kosher, but they're for people who had nothing, depending on God's creation literally for every single meal. We can't help but hear Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Don't worry about what you eat and what you will wear; it'll be provided for you. This is what John did; he lived it. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy. Stop down, untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus later refers to John as the greatest man ever born of woman. But John is a humble man, knowing from the beginning that Jesus must increase while he decreases. The Jews of the time, the reason why he says this is because the Jews of the time had kind of a thing that they said and the, the servant of a master would do anything, but he wouldn't tie his shoes. But John's saying, I'd do anything for Christ because he's worthy. Why was he so humble? He understood his role. He was really just preparing Baptism by water is important, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is of the utmost importance. Romans 6 tells us there's no question that baptism is a picture of our reenactment or a reenactment of our identification with Christ. We can flip over there for a minute. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him in baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right? That should be familiar to you. Anybody that's experienced or seen baptism before, that's what it is. But our confession and repentance of water baptism are not only representing steps of obedience that prepare us for the blessing of God to meet us. They prepare us for the blessing of God to meet us with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll return to this in a minute. Let's finish out the the section here. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John the Jordan. Right after Mark gets done discussing the humility of John, we find that Jesus, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world, came humbly to John to be baptized. Matthew tells us in more detail that John tried to refuse, but Jesus wouldn't let him. He said it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Why is that? Well, again, we know that God commanded it. Right? God had a plan. He prophesied it. John had been told that the Spirit would descend on the Messiah. This was foreordained to happen. On another level, Christ is our example. Right? One of the biggest arguments that we need baptism is that Christ himself was baptized. Even Jesus did this, and he was the only sinless one ever. Don't we want to follow this in wonderful obedience? When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Once again, we don't see the fullness of God's response to obedience until the obedience is complete. Just like the ark crossing the Jordan, the Jordan didn't split open until the priests had their feet completely in the water. God doesn't show us his plan in totality until we're all in. Then comes the first instance of Mark's word, immediately. Which we're going to see 40 times. Isn't it amazing how God seems to both take his time and then in the end bring the completion so immediately? We, wait, we think he's waiting until the last second to show up and then he shows up in power. The heavens are torn open. It's the only Mark's the only gospel that records it this way. We hear of garments torn, veil torn, fish nets ripped open because of too many fish, and even rocks torn. But this is the only recording of heaven being torn. Was it for people to hear the voice of the Most High while catching a glimpse into his kingdom in the heavens? Or maybe it was for the Holy Spirit to make his visible descent onto Christ himself. Now, the favorite part, right? A voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here we see the completeness of the Trinity coming together all at once. The Son walking in obedience, the Spirit descending in disobedience, and the Father proclaiming his love and pleasure on the obedience by blessing and abiding with him together. We've come to the end of the passage, and I still have time left. Because I want to go back and talk more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Before I start, I want to clarify something. No one comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit. Right? So what I'm going to say is true, but don't get upset at terms because you may have been taught that when you receive Christ at regeneration, you receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that. That's the truth. question is are you baptized with the holy spirit good fantastic so let's review for a minute john 20 right jesus meets with the disciples john 20 22 He appears after the resurrection, and he says, when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So if the disciples received the Holy Spirit in John 20, what happened in Acts 2? Again, all believers have received the Holy Spirit. But what's the baptism? Baptism. Last week, uh, one of the people Chad quoted was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. His name is A.B. Simpson. In addition to founding the CMA, he's most famous for coining the phrase, the fourfold gospel. Referring to the fact that Jesus is our savior, he's our sanctifier, he's our healer, and he's our coming king. For those of you who are not exposed to Pentecostalism, you might hear the term full gospel. Somebody goes to a full gospel church. Four square gospel, which only differs by replacing the word sanctifier with baptizer, which I think is more accurate if we, if we consider the text we're looking at today. These terms are expressing the, the gift of the Holy Spirit in his fullness. The baptism of John is close, but it's not quite the same as the baptism of Jesus since it is only a call for repentance and forgiveness, not containing directly the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is most clear in Acts 19. I have to go fast now because I'm running behind. So Acts 19, for those of you who know Acts pretty well, is when Paul is at Corinth and he's going to Ephesus, And he finds some disciples on the way. In verse 2, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, you've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So these guys were following God, but they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They hadn't received him in fullness yet. I think it's also interesting that these guys were baptized again. In water, right? Some of us were baptized as as babies. I don't know how many of you. I'm I'm one of them. All right. And when I came to Christ, I was baptized again. Well, I waited a couple years, but that was because I didn't hear my own sermon. No. (laughs) No. Seriously, it's all right to be baptized again if you weren't baptized for the right reason, right? I think it's important. I think the New Testament, there's no instance in the New Testament of somebody getting, becoming, coming to Christ as a believer and not being baptized. It just doesn't exist. So if you're a believer and haven't been baptized, get in line. Right? So let's go back to Acts 1 for a minute. So, in addition to being baptized in water, we're all expected to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, surrounded, immersed, right? Controlled, let's call it, yielded to the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1 5, Jesus promises that the disciples will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We all agree this happened on Pentecost. Flip over to chapter two, right, verse four. This is how Peter explains what happens. Sorry, verse four says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So that's that's the description of what it is. And then later on in verse seventeen on, he quotes Joel's prophecy: "In the last days, it shall be," God declares, "that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh." all your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy Peter's saying it's here the Holy Spirit is here now it's for everyone skip down to uh, verse 38 verse 38 Peter, he gives an incredible sermon explaining the gospel to the Jews who were there when Christ was crucified. They were cut to the heart and they said, what do we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and from all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. That includes us. Be baptized, Christ will baptize you. There's a connection of obedience here. I don't have time to go through all the other selections, but chapter 4, this happens, the Holy Spirit comes down again, right? Fills the crowd, place was shaken. Chapter 8, the uh, Samaritans are preached to. And God doesn't even wait until they're baptized in water. He just throws the Holy Spirit down on them. Right? Actually, that's in uh, chapter 10. So in chapter 10, he goes to the Gentiles, and that's what happens. Peter just opens his mouth. He starts preaching, and the Holy Spirit falls. Okay, so there's a connection. There's your regeneration. You believe in Christ. And then what follows is water baptism by your obedience. Spirit baptism It's God responding to obedience. The most clear and detailed description of baptism in the Holy Spirit I've ever discovered is this book, which is only available in print. It's Joy Unspeakable by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, I can't go through the whole book, obviously, but there's a chapter near the end of the book called Seeking the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. He discusses four major components for readying ourselves for our own Pentecost. One, realize the possibility, right? We just read every one of you, right? God wants you to be filled up to the brim with the Holy Spirit. Two, watch your motives, right? Your motives should be of love, right? Not experience, not seeking power, but love of God. This is what happens in Ephesus, right? The people we were just talking about, where God meets these guys at Ephesus. Paul spends two years at Ephesus, more than any other place. And by the time Revelation is written, he says, you're doing a good job, guys. But one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. Right? Our motivation is of utmost importance. Third, obey. Obey. Including all repentance and anything the Spirit reveals to you. Right? When God calls you to repent, repent. Don't wait. Do it now. Right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Four, pray in faith. Knowing that Jesus paid for your baptism by the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us, right, that God will not withhold the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks him. So believe it. He doesn't explicitly state this in the book, but I think the f- fifth step is wait. It's tough to wait. Right? That's what he told the disciples to do. Wait until the Spirit comes. Didn't mean they weren't doing anything. They were praying, anticipating, waiting for him to come. But they didn't, Jesus didn't tell them it was gonna, he was going to come in ten days. He leaves on day 40, and he's coming on 50, but they don't know. Jesus just says, wait until he comes. A friend named Henry Henry Varley said to D.L. Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Moody responded, I want to be that man. I just want to do a short reading from this book that concerns Moody. Here was a converted man, not only so, he started a mission work in Chicago and thought he was very successful. Two ladies went to him at the end of a service, he was preaching, and said, Mr. Moody, we are praying for you. He rather resented this. He was a successful preacher. He said, what are you praying for? They said, we are praying that you may have greater power. He really resented this. He thought he was a preacher with power and all was well. But he couldn't forget their words began to realize what they meant to have an insight into this whole doctrine and to pray himself for this. He went on for six months pleading in the way that Simon describes that God would hear him in this matter. And we have seen how walking down Wall Street in New York City one afternoon God suddenly answered and the spirit fell on him. That's a story six months at least of praying and pleading and yearning and longing. I will not let thee go. And at last. Do you see the connection? Like Jacob, our life experience is that of wrestling against God's plan for our lives. But God has written our story. Revealing it to us in his written word. Prophesying that from old the Savior would come. Our Savior. Not only to the world, but to us. Like John the Baptist, someone comes into our lives... Pointing out our sin, calling us to repent, and like Peter ends his sermon on Pentecost repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As the Lord would have it, baptism people can go down and get changed if they need to. We have the fantastic privilege today to see these four people walk in obedience and believers' baptism. As we prepare, let me ask you where you are on your path from death to life. As Pastor Duke likes to say, all God requires of us is to do the next right thing, right? Are you wrestling with God and him calling your repentance? Have you ceased wrestling and found peace by placing your faith in the Savior? Have you been baptized in water as directed by Jesus himself? Have you been seeking the baptism of his Holy Spirit, experiencing the power of his resurrection and overcoming sin? Or are you you walking completely by faith? Maybe you've tasted the gift and slowly drifted from your first love and need to confess and rekindle your love with Christ. He wants nothing more than to fill you to the fullness. I was there for 20 years. Don't stop seeking God wants to answer you. Maybe you need to take the role that John the Baptist did in somebody's life. Call him to repentance. Prepare the way of the Lord. Wherever you are, the altar here is always open. We're here to pray with you, to walk you through it, to help you seek the Lord to help you obey in believer's baptism, to help you repent, to help you get filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you want nothing more than to abide with us. You want nothing more than us to follow in obedience to you, Lord. You are doing a work. We want to be part of it, Lord. We confess that we walk out of our own flesh far too often. We want to be available, just like we saw this morning. We want to be available for you to fill us So we pray for your Holy Spirit to come down on these new believers, new followers in baptism, on everyone here, Lord. Show us what we need to do to be in position for you to fill us to the fullness. In Jesus' name.